Everybody, let me say hello to you. My name is Kyle. I want to welcome you to Uplift and to the conversation. Glad you're here. We are in a series called Cut to the Chase. Cut to the Chase. I call this an equipping series. And it's from Acts chapter 17. And it's from Paul's 92nd gospel presentation to the Athenians, to those in Athens. I got the title of the series because literally Paul cut to the chase. It wasn't an overly complicated presentation of the gospel. It was quick and it was clear and it was easy and it spoke directly to what those folks needed to hear and what we need to hear. When we moved to Houston several years ago, I just want to give you a personal story. I had quite a bit of anxiety about where I was geographically. I mean, it was so, I'd, I'd, spent the, I'd been in the same geographic area my entire life until I moved here. So moving here in my early 40s, I noticed differences, things that now I don't notice, but I noticed then sunrise and sunset times were different. Weather patterns uh, had changed. Uh, and I could, I could tell that. I could feel those differences. And, and, I, and I couldn't necessarily understand where I was in relation to other places. I would get out the map and say, okay, I know I live here. Here's the church. Is this north, south, east, or west? I, don't, I had a hard time. So I used my Google Maps app every time I drove, literally for about a year. Just had to. Had a lot of anxiety. Uh, of course, routes that are now familiar at that time were anything but for several months. Now, after I became a little more familiar with my surroundings, with this town, with this county, I would go ahead and set my directions, my locations on my maps app, and then I would deliberately make wrong turns. And you should have heard how stressed out I made that lady on my app. <laughs> she was so upset with me. You've completely messed up. Turn around, make a right here, make a left here. And I would just continue to ignore her as I drove on purpose, on purpose, trying to figure out and learn on my own, create new spaces in my brain, how to get around and for me and this app to come to an agreement that I'm ultimately going to be right, even if she is right. That's what I thought. So anyway, I was kind of training my brain so I can know where to go and how to get there. I needed to get better. I don't know if you've heard this word. It's called orienteering. I needed to get better at orienteering, uh, at navigation. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but there are actually events that test your orienteering skills. That's a hard word to say. There are events. You can go to orienteeringusa.org. You can see all of their events. You can sign up for those. The whole goal of this, and it's a, it's a little bit of a game, is that you are taken to a location and you're given a map. You can't use your phone. You're given a map and you're given a compass. And then you're given a time and a destination. And with those, just those two tools, those two resources, you are to take, you are to get from where you are to where you're supposed to be within a certain amount of time. It's, it looks, actually, it looks pretty interesting. And, and it actually seems uh, that the idea is to get better. Uh, it's competitive. How good are you at finding direction? And I know, I don't know if you believe this or not, but according to popular belief and according to science, because we always trust the science, did you know that men are actually genetically better than directions than women are? 
It's true, according to science. I mean, you can, you can, you can debate that. There was actually a recent study that was published actually uh, January of 2024 that has proven that men actually slightly outperform women with direction and navigational skills. Now, they've got a lot of speculations of why that is. I'm going to give you a couple. One speculation is that men are better at navigation because it was thought that, this sounds really sexist, but that men traveled further from home than women do making men more adaptable to direction and location and navigation. Of course, everybody was like, that's not true. That's not true. It's not even provable. Another speculation is that boys at a young age were encouraged to play outside more than girls. So they surmised that maybe boys learned to map their surroundings at an early age, but that's not even provable. We're not even sure if that's true. And there was another study that was shown, and this kind of disproves all of this, is that where, uh, where boys and girls play outside in equal amounts, those things sort of even out a little bit. So it's not necessarily that men are, are always better, it's that there is probably some equality. What's provable is that the gap between men and women and, and their ability to navigate is all but diminished because of experience. Oh, it just goes away. And the key to this is mobility. It's mobility. People are good at sensing direction when they are mobile. I want to share with you a quote here from Nora Newcomb. She was a psychology professor at Temple University who was one of the authors of the study. And she says, this experiments with non-human animals suggest something. That passive motion, in other words, just riding in a car rather than driving in a car, is not that good at finding or orienteering because you don't pay attention. You actually have to be engaged in the motion itself. Researchers call the mental tools we use to navigate, they have a nice little phrase for it, they call it a cognitive map. Our brains are wonderfully and miraculously made, and when we're trying to find out where we are and where we're going, our brains create, whether we know it or not, representations of maps in our brains. What this all means is that this is an improvable ability. Studies have shown that if you spend time in spatially complex environments or cities, then your ability to navigate and know where you are and know where you're going actually improves. It actually get, it gets better. And the point of all this is that you can. You can actually get better at knowing where you're going. You have to. And, and what does this and what makes us get better is that we have to change our relationship with risk. We've got to be willing to explore, to seek, to find, to engage, to know where we want to go. Developing our sense of direction is actually the key to flourishing. It's not just living, it's flourishing. Flourishing with our God-given gifts and talents, not just surviving, knowing where we are, and where we're going are perhaps the two most vital pieces of information we can have. You've heard this quote from Mark Twain. I think he said it best, that the two most important days of your life are the day you were born and the day that you find out why. Now, love that quote, used it a lot, but I tend to think that of those two days, 
One of those is actually more important than the other. And I think it's the day that you found out why you were born because of those two, it's the only one that actually requires your participation. It does. It's the day that author and theologian Brennan Manning, I love Brennan Manning. I'm going to share with you a quote from his book, The Ragamuffin Gospel. He calls this our second journey. I'm going to read you this quote. This is from The Ragamuffin Gospel. Highly recommend this book. I give it away. I've got several copies. Someone asked me for it the other day, and I gave him a copy. Here we go. This is from his chapter called The Second Journey. This is what he writes. Many people between the ages of 30 and 60, whatever their stature in the community, whatever their personal achievements, undergo what can truly be called a second journey. A man can have piled up an impressive portfolio of dollars and honors, get his name in who's who, and then wake up one morning asking, is is it all worth it? Competent teachers, nurses, and clergy can reach the top only to discover that the job no longer fascinates. There is nowhere higher to go. They find themselves terrified of stagnation and asking, should I switch careers? Would returning to school help? A 35-year-old wife learns of her husband's infidelity. A 40-year-old company director finds that making money suddenly seems absurd. A 45-year-old journalist gets smashed up in a car accident. However it happens, such people feel confused and even lost. They can no longer keep life in working order. They're dragged away. I love this quote. They're dragged away from chosen and cherished patterns to face strange crises. This is their second journey. It's a great chapter, by the way. Manning's quote, though, I think speaks to the truth of our existence. What he does in this chapter is he invites us into the truth that God is really the ultimate decider in our journey. And we often find ourselves in moments of learning, again, the direction that the Lord wants us to go. Sometimes we resist that, Like Jonah, we're a little stubborn, but the Lord has this way of moving us in this direction. And he moves us in that direction rather than the direction we think we should go. He's the one that decides. Learning our direction may be the most crucial knowledge and experience of our lives. And Paul knew this when he shared the gospel to those who didn't know Jesus. So what I want to do, we do this, we've done this every time during this series, is I want us to read his gospel presentation together. It's 90 seconds. It's from Acts chapter 17. We're going to begin in verse 24, and we're going to read through verse 31. Here we go. The God who made the world, Paul says, and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind, life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he's actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, as some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he's fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. 
And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now, this is really a brilliant piece of information from Paul. And Paul splits this up. There's three sort of ways he splits this up. We talked about one a couple weeks ago, talking about one uh, in this message. And when we conclude the message next week, we're going to talk about the third part. But he begins these 90 seconds, obviously, by introducing God to people who didn't know God. Very simple. You can't deny God. You can't contain him. You can't enhance him. These are rock-solid truths. But then, and what we're going to talk about in a couple of minutes, is that he immediately strikes to the core of who we are and our deepest want. The questions we want answered. Why Why were you born? Why are you here? Where are you going? These are the things that can possibly and probably keep us up at night. This is what we really want to know. And the answers to these three questions are really crucial to those who want to know Jesus, to those who don't know Jesus, to those who think they know Jesus, and to those who do. So let's kind of pull out this little part of Paul's presentation here, the part that answers these three questions. Here we go. From verses 26 and 27, we're going to spend our time in these two verses for the remainder of, this, of our time together. This is what Paul says in the middle part of his presentation. And God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. And let's just kind of stop and just praise the Lord for his graciousness and his kindness here that God does not leave us in a state of wonderment. He answers these questions. Paul spoke them. We're going to highlight them. And if you want some direction for your life, here are the points that generate this. This is the first thing that the first thing we want to know about direction is we want to know why you were born. That's what you want to know. Why you were born. And Paul gets to it real fast. He says, You're created. That's why you're born. You were created, as is everyone who has ever lived, and you're created from one single human. Now, that might be a little bit pedantic, right? Be a little simplistic. Look again in verse 26. God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. That's it. Seems really simple. Probably sounds a little bit, and I have to apologize, but I got to use a sports metaphor here. Sounds a little bit like Vince Lombardi's famous speech to the Green Bay Packers in 1961. You know this. Let me give you some context. Green Bay Packers, Packers finished the previous season in a crushing loss to the Philadelphia Eagles in the NFL championship game. So they returned from offseason ready to go. They're ready to go. They, they reported the training camp with the expectation of beginning exactly where they left off. But when they reported very first day, Vince Lombardi, famous coach, held up a football, and you know what he said. He said, gentlemen, this is a football. To the team that just competed for the championship, he had to start at the very basic point of why they were even there. He then asked them, after that, to open their playbooks and to learn the fundamentals of their sport all over again, how to block, how to tackle, how to catch, how to throw. This wasn't their expectation coming into training camp, but they did win the NFL championship that year. You have an origin story 
by the nature and the movement of God's own hand. You were made. You were made. But here, here I think, is the more alarming point to this statement here. To those in Paul's original audience, and even now, that something so pedantic and simple cuts through what we believe really to be our defining traits. Because, listen, we, we think and we're told that our country and that our patriotism, that's our defining trait. And we need to be treated accordingly. Or, or maybe it's our skin color. Maybe our skin color is our defining trait. And we need to be treated accordingly. Or that our gender, or even our preferred gender now, is our defining trait. And we should be treated, treated and addressed accordingly. But I want to I kind of pull back from all that. All of these traits here are just playing with the ingredient list. We have no real power to decide who we are. Only God has that power. And God has spoken, and you are made, and you live, and you are created as God wants you to be in his image. You live because God made you. He made you to be you. In fact, the Athenians, they actually believed that they rose from the dirt of their homeland, that they were sacred, that they were different or special, that they were unique and unlike any other species of human on the planet. But Paul, Paul cut to the core of that and, and said, you know, we're no, we're no more sacred. You're no more sacred than anyone else who's ever been created. Everyone else is created with as much meaning and purpose and creativity as you and me. And you know what this means? It means that everyone matters. Everyone matters. Not one person exists outside of God's permission. Not one person. You were made. You need to know why you were born. Here's the second way to know direction is to know why you're here. We're answering these three questions. Let's look again at Paul's statement in verse 26. God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined, look at this, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. God has determined, he's made not only you, but also the conditions in which you live. It's, it's here. God establishes the ordering of the world, contrary, I think, to part popular belief. Now, you and I, we may partner with God in God's own selection, but, but Paul's pretty clear here. Nations, governments, boundaries of cities and states and towns and nations, they're fixed by God. That's what he says. God is the God of history of how history is made. He's the God of how history is created. Everything is covered. Specific times, exact places, beginnings, endings, borders, boundaries. God is over all of these things. And this is validated elsewhere in Scripture, by the way. And it's probably especially helpful for us right now, maybe even in an election season. Look at what the prophet Daniel wrote in Daniel chapter 2, verses 20 and 21. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings, and he sets up kings. It's also validated in the law of Moses. Look at this in Deuteronomy chapter 32. When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. Now, it'd be really easy right now to get off in the weeds of this. That's not really what Paul's doing. It's 90 seconds. What Paul is declaring here, more so than just making people uncomfortable, is that he's affirming that there's only one God. 
There's only one God. Paul is speaking to a crowd, remember, in a city where there are 30,000 statues of gods for 10,000 people. What Paul is saying is there's just one. There's not 30,000 of these. There is just one, and he's the one that's in control. Look, the Athenians had no problem believing in divinity. They just didn't quite understand that divinity was reserved for just one. But, but right here, Paul's statement, it's a statement about God's sovereignty. God can handle you. He can handle the world. And this is critical to know. When you think about the direction of your life, God holds your time and your place in his hand. You don't need to worry if you're in the right place because you are. You are because you're here. And the third thing about knowing the direction of your life is this. It's also knowing where you're going. Knowing where you're going. Now, of these three questions, I don't know which one holds the most weight for us. Do we prefer to know why we were born, why we're here, or where we're going? I think number three, and this one to me is the, is the, is the weightiest. I think we wonder more about where we're going more than anything else. And Paul actually provides an answer for this. Look in verse 26, going on into verse 27. God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of the dwelling place that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he's not actually far from each one of us. We were created with one purpose and with one direction. And it was, and it is, not was, it is to seek God. We've been created, made to be in fellowship with God, to be in communion with God. By the way, this one purpose, it supersedes everything else you've been taught about what to do with your life. It supersedes career choices, investment choices, relationship choices. In fact, if we're going to be honest, all of those things stem from the seeking of God. And Paul's implication, or statement has a couple of in, implications, and these are pretty big. We're going to just touch on them lightly. One, in seeking God, that inherently, instinctually, we don't know where to find God. We, we have to actually seek God. That our sinful nature, our nature without Jesus, is actually one of isolation and rejection of God. We don't know on our own how to find him. If we did, there'd be no need for Jesus. We have no idea how to do this. And the second, second implication is this, is that we have a built-in desire to find God. We want him because we're created to want him. Now, this may be something better discovered through discernment and fellowship and worship, but this desire, if it's not already, can be awakened in you. It's meant to be awakened. In fact, in fact, I want you to think about this. Our seeking of God, it never stops. I want you to consider something. We're going to read from this in just a minute, but I want you to, let's, let's just kind of zoom in on Paul in another space of his life, right? So Paul when he writes the book of Philippians, right, he's near the end of his life. He's in jail. He's hungry. He's needing the assistance of the church in Philippi. And really, when you read the letter, he's unsure if he's ever going to be released. But then he writes these words. I want you to read this. This is from Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. Paul wrote, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish 
in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. It's the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Look at verse 10, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection, sharing his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. I want you to consider that this man, this man responsible for igniting Christianity across the Roman Empire, whose legacy of church planting and letter writing is responsible by the power of the Holy Spirit, really, even for your faith, who is now in jail because of his belief in Jesus, and he still wrote at the end of his life, oh my goodness, he still wrote that he wanted to know Jesus. At the end of his life, in the most destitute of situations, he writes, I just want to know him. You would assume that Paul would already know him. That's the assumption. But Paul writes, I just want to know him. I just want to know him. We are created to seek God and that desire in us, it's a desire that never ends. The most important day of your life is when you discover this. When you know why you're here, you're here to chase God. You're here to chase Him. The direction of your life, it's knowable. And it's found only in God through Jesus. And amen for that.